Hello? Is this thing on? Yeah. Okay. This is weird. I've listened to this podcast from the start, every episode, sometimes multiple times in a row. Hello, and welcome to The Box. I'm your host, Quinn Cass. Well, last names aren't important. You're probably wondering where Addison is. We'll get to that. For now, if this is your first time listening, stop what you're doing and go back to the beginning of the season one, because nothing is going to make sense if you don't. Here we go. I don't know who you are or what you're up to, but let me suggest that you leave this alone. Are you still having dreams? Seriously, what the fuck is happening here? Regnant is not the big bad in this season. I won't become a weapon. You got this. Guard up, head down, keep moving forward. Okay, so you're probably very confused and more than a little concerned. I get it. Let me start by saying Addison is perfectly fine. Well, I mean, she's safe, we think. I mean, right now. I mean, I guess what I mean is don't worry. At least not too much. The point is, Addison can't come to the mic right now. She will again, soon, I hope. But she can't now, and I know, I mean, I think I have to believe that if she could, she would be catching everyone up on everything that has happened. So until she can, I'm going to do my best to try to fill in the blanks. One problem, actually multiple problems, I'd have put this out way before, but first I had to find a way to hack into her computer. Assuming that was Frank's handiwork. Well played, sir. And then look, like many of you, I love Addison. She's brilliant, but her organizational skills leave something to be desired. Trying to figure out a rhyme or a reason to how her files are arranged is a fool's errand. On top of that, some of the files themselves are password protected, and others seem to be totally corrupted. It's not like she had a bunch of episodes just sitting in the quiver. The other problem is that, well, I'm not Addison. Looking through the files made it clear that when she tells the story, she's curating it. Like, what we hear released is a fraction of what she's got here. Some of these files are recorded conversations, some is clearly her recording specifically for episodes, explaining things, some are just her talking, mostly to herself, I think. And from what I've been able to sift through so far, there are two stories taking place at once. There's the one she left off on, learning about Regnant, figuring her way through the situation right in front of her, and another. Something happened. I'm still not sure what it was. But it wasn't enough that she was diving back into entries and reports that don't seem to be related to what was happening in the moment with Regnant, or each other for that matter. And I'm still not sure about the events that led her to where she is right now. But I'm hoping that whatever it was that she was trying to sort through away from prying eyes might help us figure it out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to fill in Addison's shoes in the near term. Put together the pieces so we can determine what she was trying to tell us about before she went radio silent. And in the meantime, I'm going to release recordings that seem to be tied to this other line of inquiry. Maybe together we can figure this out. Cool? Cool. Let's do this.
right, so not much else I can be doing that's productive and realistically I'm not super confident that I'm going to continue to have access to all of this, so I figure it's as good a time as I need to record for posterity. Let's see, okay, well, this one seems as good a place as any to start. Here we go. There's usually nothing I hate more than a haunting case. Probably because the public's understanding of hauntings is so absurdly romanticized, and haunting cases typically mean dealing with the public and all their superstitions. In fairness, we don't typically bother with them unless the complaint is coming from someone who needs to be handled with kid gloves, and I am not the person they send in with kid gloves, so I honestly can't remember the last time I caught one of these. Regardless, I can't say I didn't resent the assignment when it landed on my desk. So much of it seemed standard. Young family moves into an old house. Strange noises. Parents see something. Kids see more than something. The usual. The family wasn't known to be super religious, which I took as a relief, but they'd still reached out to a local priest about the whole thing, which was, one, how we wound up hearing about it in the first place, and two, said the activity in the house was high enough that even the skeptics were looking to the church for answers. Still, this usually wouldn't warrant an intervention. As far as I could tell, these people were nobodies. Dad was a contractor, Mom used to be a high school science teacher, and now is at home with the three little ones. The move seemed to have been motivated by finances. I'm sure there were other impulses, you know, the lack of ties to a community they were in, meaning no reason to stay, a desire to start a new adventure away from cookie-cutter suburbs, whatever other bullshit people tell themselves when they're not particularly happy and think a change of scenery will change everything, but that's hard to pin down on paper before you land somewhere for a case, and still wouldn't warrant an intervention. The house was nothing special, neither was the town, and none of the people in the family were pegged as potential sensitives. No weird family trees, or incidents, or note, even prior to the move. That doesn't mean there won't be sensitives in the mix, of course, but the point is that there was nothing indicating we should have been interested in the first place, so yeah, I was annoyed. They sent me with a team, too, which just ramped up my irritation. Like I couldn't handle a ghost on my own. And to top it off, they sent me with an obnoxious team. One of our historians who, frankly, just struck me as an over-caffeinated nerd. A technician who was just supposed to run equipment and get readings. Like, I'm not supposed to be able to pick up on that shit on my own. And a bureaucrat. That's really all I knew about her. So we get to this house, and it's basically a scene straight from a generic Netflix horror film old farmhouse, weather-worn paint. We're talking early November in the Midwest, so everything is like a grayscale version of itself. You know the grass should be green, but it's hard to call it that. The bark on the trees seems to have turned in on itself. The leaves fell long ago with just a few still crackling around on the ground as they get tossed by the wind, and you're almost grateful it's overcast because a bright blue backdrop would just be jarring. That's what we were walking up on with, God help me, a porch swing creaking in the wind as we approached. The woman, Abigail, she's tired, right? Looks like she hasn't slept in a while, hair pulled back in a messy bun, clothes she probably hasn't changed out of in a couple days. 
dark circles beneath her eyes, underlining the yawn she greets us with. And the husband, Ben, he's behind her. He's tired, feet shuffling, looks down as she ushers us in. They were told that we were from the church. Both of them seem to be torn between resenting our presence and a sense of desperate appreciation. Resentment aside, Abigail offers us tea, and we begin to ask her questions. Their account of the events matches what we have in the file. It's an old house. Of course, there are creaks and drafts and all of that, they say quickly, and we were moving in, so of course we were going to misplace things occasionally, they add. But certain items would disappear only to show up in the attic, when they were certain no one had gone up there. And certain items that didn't belong to them... A mortar and pestle, bundled herbs, even crystals, would suddenly show up. At first they thought it was weird, you know. They th- then they thought, well, maybe it's our eldest, this 11-year-old girl named Veronica, getting into things she shouldn't be. But as Veronica started school and these events continued to add up, that explanation lost its legs. And of course, all three children began to talk about the singing woman. At night, the children said, She would sit in their rooms and sing to them. They'd wake to find her sitting in a corner humming. If they sat up or made noise, she would make a shushing motion and gesture for them to go back to sleep. And because they're kids and they were half asleep when it happened, they would for a long time. And at first the kids hadn't thought much of it, at one point even mistaking it for their mother in their sleepy state. But after morning conversations revealed that not to be the case... The middle child, an eight-year-old named Dustin, tried talking to it, and it actually moved across the room toward him. No threatening motions or anything like that, but the sight, which sounded to me like a decaying corpse, scared him enough that he started screaming bloody murder in the middle of the night. They moved the kids to a different bedroom, and still, she came. Abigail tried sleeping in the room with them. The minute she nodded off, and she always nodded off no matter how hard she tried, The thing was back, singing, though it would vanish when the screaming children woke her. The same would happen if the kids slept in their parents' room. The instigating event, however, came when it stopped singing. Instead, the children would find a way get standing over the baby of the family, a three-year-old named Timothy, without making a sound. That wouldn't have been much to write home about, but the child started having convulsions, middle of the day, out of nowhere. His speech was slurring at times, and sometimes, mid-childlike ramble, he would begin saying things that didn't make sense. How they needed to stay, how there were things they needed to know, stories they needed to hear. Sometimes he'd say a few things in what sounded like French, though no one in the house spoke the language. He'd then continue where his normal, childish thoughts had left off, never aware of what had just happened. And in the meantime, everyone in the house was on edge. It was the daughter Veronica who seemed to best be able to put it into words. Their heads felt crowded. Here's the thing. If it was just the apparition, just things moving around, that would have been pretty easily explained. The house wasn't exactly on a big vortex, and there were no faults around, but there were enough intersections nearby, and energy levels were at a slightly higher than usual level. You know, add to that the death of a particularly angsty woman long ago, and sure, bingo, presto, average haunting. The energy pooled in the area takes on the characteristics of an individual who emitted a great deal of energy in their death, and voila. 
Yeah, kids are more likely to see that sort of thing. You know, they're open to possibilities and emit enough natural energy themselves that they attract this sort of condensed manifestation we're talking about. And yeah, these things tend to like babies. Except they tend to gravitate towards preteens first, you know, hormones and all. And this one zeroed in on the toddler. Except the hushing. It didn't seem punitive or even particularly affectionate, which isn't uncommon when you've got matronly-type apparitions. But this one... Whatever we were dealing with seemed focused on completing a task that didn't seem to make a lot of sense. All I know is that it wasn't lost on me when the bureaucrat leaned in with a furrowed brow at the mention of stories that needed to be heard. The kids, in any case, you know, leave at this point to stay with a sort of friend in the area, I guess. Abigail and Ben stayed with us. We do our due diligence. You know, the house, as expected, is nothing special. The attic is the only thing worth mentioning. It's not like we walked into something obviously out of line. I mean, yes, the place was creepy. They're all creepy. But there was nothing in there that would have jumped out at you if you didn't know what you were looking for. The historian, technician, and bureaucrat all missed it. I almost missed it, too. I felt like I'd seen it before. The floor. It was exceptionally well-worn, and not just old, not even an excessive use kind of worn down. It looked as though someone, at some point, had scrubbed hard enough at the panels that they might as well have sanded them clean. It wasn't actually sanded, you'd be able to tell. Whoever had done whatever... They'd gone out of their way to disguise that they'd worked very hard to get something off of the floor. Most of the stuff in the attic just looked like old attic stuff, you know? Ben and Abigail admitted they hadn't cleared it out when they'd moved in, so there were mirrors and old frames and boxes of knickknacks that didn't appear to be anything at all on their own lined against the walls. Again, it didn't stand out, and if we'd gone up there literally 20 minutes earlier or later... I don't know that I would have put it together, but the way the light was coming through the large window underneath the awning on the west wall, the way the rays struck specific parts of the room, the fleeting glints against dusted glass half-covered in sheets, someone had once done a great deal of casting in that room. Someone who didn't want folks to remember that. And yet, it appeared... Someone who very much wanted to communicate now. We sat up in the children's room as I pored over the case file. No recent deaths. The house had set open for about five years. Prior residents had been an older couple who had raised their children there. They'd been there for 15 years prior to that. Tenants before that were there for 20 years. In fact, the whole paper trail spoke of nothing but families growing up under that roof for more than 100 years. No tragedies. I mean, if anything was weird, it was the lack of anything that could be construed as weird. Which made me think about those scrubbed floors. I don't know why I didn't speak up to the rest of the team. Maybe I should have, but I was still cranky about being sent in on my own. Something about this wasn't adding up, and the bureaucrat in particular, I, I didn't trust. I didn't like the way she stared at me, as if... She might be able to see through my eyes if she tried hard enough. Hell, maybe she could. I don't know. I just know she made me feel profoundly uncomfortable. 
We'd settled in, stomach sated by fast food that was cold by the time Ben got home, when I noticed something in the air was shifting. It wasn't late, maybe 8.30, 9 o'clock, but there was a heavy quality to it, like your mind was laying down under a weighted blanket. Looking around, I could see the historian nodding off in front of a book and the technician slumping against his arm in front of a monitor. The bureaucrat sat staring blankly ahead, but even her eyelids were drooping. I fought off sleep for as long as I could, but it was useless. I felt myself pulled into a long, dark, blank expanse. I don't know how much time had passed when my eyes opened, but it was standing in the middle of the room when I did, gazing impassively at the circle of us around it. Everyone else was still asleep. When its eyes settled on me, that's when I realized this was no average haunting. I wasn't looking at what the public would traditionally see as a ghost, though they wouldn't have the understanding to make that distinction, I suppose. What they view as ghosts, those condensed pockets of energy that mimic the emotions and characteristics of the source of an energy burst that left an impression, there's a fluid quality to them. This was different. It was like a broadcast on a screen that glitched, revealing just for a split second the image of something else. Something dark twisted. At a glance, it it appeared as a woman, tired, dirty, but when the glitch kicked in, the corpse behind the woman was revealed. Flesh peeled, clothing in, in tatters, maggots crawling out of cracks and sockets. And it never happened all at once. Pieces of her would glitch in and out of you, and sometimes she'd blink out of sight entirely. It was jarring, almost painful in some ways to watch, but at the same time, I, I, I physically could not look away. It, she, walked toward me, eyes, or what was left of them, fixed on my own. As she got closer, her mouth began to move, but there was no sound. It was like watching a TV on mute. And then there was, in fits and bursts. And I understood the whole French thing then, and then nothing. I, I couldn't understand what she was trying to say. Every time I thought I might be able to read her lips, the lips were gone, replaced by tooth and bone crumbling with each movement. The air had shifted, though. What her words or lack thereof, couldn't give form to. The air was singing a, a melody of fear and desperation and insistence. She kept looking over her shoulder like something was coming for her, like time was short. I shook my head trying to communicate that I couldn't understand as her frustration mounted, and then as she glanced over her shoulder once more, she startled, falling backward. The bureaucrat had woken and was standing behind her, holding a small, violet, glowing crystal. She was muttering 
something, but I couldn't make it out. The apparition startled backwards, her arms folding at impossible angles, cracking as she tried to hold herself up on the ground, her face grimacing in pain. What are you doing? I shouted above, well, honestly, I don't even know what the sound that filled the room at that point was. And I could tell the, the chanting had grown louder. The historian appeared behind the bureaucrat, their lips moving in sync, and I whipped my head around to look at the technician, which is when I realized that this apparition hadn't been falling backward at all. She was being pulled and being pulled apart towards and into this rigid, contorting body that used to be the technician, his arms, legs, and neck snapping in time with the apparition's eyes bulging out of his face as he helplessly tried to claw at his throat only to have the offending hand snapped back and away. Looking down at the apparition on the ground, her face more metaphor than material, one word cut through the cosophony unfolding around us. Danger. I can't explain it. I wasn't forced... My mind didn't go blank. I swear there was no outside influence. But in that moment, in the midst of that scene, I didn't hesitate. I sprang from my seat and smacked the hand of the bureaucrat, sending the violet stone hurtling through the air and then the glass of the window. And then, silence. Silence as I looked around the perfectly normal room. Silence as I looked down at the very broken, very dead technician. Silence as the librarian and bureaucrat coldly glowered. Silence, broken by the bureaucrat's words. You'll regret that, she said. You just blew any chance we had of recovering the story. I don't know what you all were playing at back there. I've been on some more than questionable missions, and I've always done my part, always followed orders, never talked back, never deviated from the plan, but you sent me in blind, and that, whatever that was. I'm on death's duty now, and you can keep me here for the rest of my natural life for all I care. Because I'd smack that violet rock into oblivion all over again if given the chance, and twice on Sundays. Okay, so, for one, fuck that noise. (laughs) I mean, yeah, 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 I've seen some shit at this point, but I swear, sometimes I read these things and I go through these mental acrobatics, like, fuck, do not want, hell no, do not pass go, do not collect $200, and my brain by default is like, it's okay, that kind of shit isn't real, it's just a story, and then I'm like, except yes, it is real, and you know it is, and welcome to your new reality, bitch, so that's cute. But two, seriously, like, what the fuck? (laughs) I've read this a few times, and... Okay, so the downside to going through Jay's files is trying to figure out if he pulled a case because it was weird and informative or if he was trying to tell me something specific. And this one, clearly trying to tell me something, right? And clicking around on the back end, like, okay, so this particular agent, right? Okay, he 
wasn't green. You know, he'd, he'd been around the block more than a few times, usually big operations. And this case does stand out on the docket as being super ordinary for him at least. But after it, I mean, nothing. There's nada here. No more runs. So there's that, but I don't know. Jay's given me plenty to show that Regnant was never really a monolith in terms of its thinking and did plenty of shady stuff, which means it's got to be the actual case substance he wants me to look at, right? <sighs> All right. I don't know. I, I, I will say that what stood out to me after, like, the fourth read-through was dude's breakdown of how this apparition was different, right? Like, a glitch. So... If it's not a traditional haunting, and it's not one of those haunting malfunction things with the seep, like in Colorado or whatever, then what the fuck is it? He described it as like a broadcast, which got me thinking. What if that's pretty much exactly what it is? Stick with me on this. So there's nothing in the house's history to indicate something weird, right? And I mean like nothing, which is weird in and of itself, because I mean, any house that stands for any extended period of time, you're going to find a record of something or another, right? It just, that's the way it exists in the modern world. But there's nothing there. Like someone scrubbed the history. Like someone scrubbed the floors. I mean, someone had gone out of their way to make that house look like a big fat nothing to see here kind of deal. Why would someone do that? How would someone do that? Those two questions are tied up in each other. Think about it for a sec. The, the mortar and pestle, the bundles of herbs, the household items that appear in the attic, the attic itself, the floors, the windows, the mirrors, the angles. What the fuck could that possibly add up to? I'll tell you. Witchcraft. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, me circa a year ago would have totally mocked me for those leaps in logic, but all right, hear me out here. Admittedly, I don't know much about witches or whatever. My understanding is that they're primarily linked with the wilds or operating outside the three arms or Triskelion stuff, but the gist is that they tap into ley lines and try to manipulate energy to certain ends. And like, I found this one case. These witches that used light to pump ley lines way the fuck up. The, the way a a jackass kid uses a magnifying glass to burn ants, basically. And then I found this other case where this coven was trying to build a haunted house, basically. It was like they were creating, I don't know how to describe it, almost like energy golems or something. But they described the consciousness they were trying to imbue or what have you as a broadcast. So what if this operative stumbled onto one of these energy golem broadcast things that some witch had created at some point right not from that coven this is something different i don't i i don't know i mean i still don't get why obviously whoever was responsible took a bunch of steps to keep the thing hidden away and why focus on the little kid and why now and what story were they trying to get out exactly and it just <sighs> fuck me I wish there was some way I could get out of here. Go try and dig in on all of this. Clear my mind, at least. There's something here, though. I, I know it. 
shit, I'm gonna be late. Okay. Come back to this later. So, there's that. And there's more where that came from. I wish I had more to offer in this moment, but I'm still trying to make heads or tails of the clusterfuck on her hard drive. So, I don't know. I will say that a lot of these recordings tend to deal with the wilds or something outside of the central regnant power struggle. So here's the deal. If you have any ideas as to why this mattered, or hell, if you saw her or talked to her during this whole time period, or know, well, anything, reach out. You can send an email to OpenTheBoxPodcast at gmail.com, or contact me on Facebook at The Box Podcast, or on Twitter at The Box Stories. In the meantime, I'm going to try to figure out what to put out for you guys next. Until then, <clears throat> in the words of Addison, Stay safe.